Okay, so um, let me just say right up front that um, I feel very inadequate to do this one this morning. Okay, so we're going to navigate some pretty tricky waters. So I want you to get your note sheet out. I don't usually make you write anything down, but I'm going to make you write one phrase down. Okay, it's, it's not the big idea, but maybe it should have been. I don't know. Um, but I want you to write this down because here's, what, here's what's going to happen today. I love how God orchestrates things. We didn't orchestrate what songs to sing. Um, you've already learned something today. You've learned that there were six verses to Amazing Grace. You were like, that one verse goes like this. Because we didn't know what it was. <laughs> we was like, what? Like, did the worship band just make that up? There's like actually six verses to Amazing Grace. So um, we've already learned that. But here's what I want you to do. Just say, the, just say grace. Say it again. Grace. Because here's what's going to happen today. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And this is like a, a section of Scripture, like 17 to the end of chapter 4 is, if there's ever a portion of Scripture that's going to make you mad at the messenger, this is the one. Okay? And if I could have crammed it all into one week to get it over with, I would have. But it would have been, we'd have been here too long, and you would have really been mad at me. So what we're going to do is we're going to break it up. Today is going to... It's, these are going to be weeks when, I'm being honest, I'm going to say things that are in the Bible, and inside you're just going to be like, I don't know if I like that. So I want you to know right up front, I don't like it either. Is that fair enough? And I'm giving you permission to say in your head, I don't like that. I'm giving you permission to look at your life and to look at the life of the people, the people that are close to you, and say, keep it in your head, but say, they're not doing that. Because what we're going to talk about is, is truth, and it's not being lived. Is that, can I just say that right up front? We're going, to, we're going to find that we're failing at this more than we're succeeding. And I just want to say, just everybody take a deep breath and hold it for like the next 40 minutes. Here's what I want you to write down. Um, here's what I want you to write down. It's not going to be on the screen, so you're going to have to listen to it. I'll say it a couple of times. Sinners can do nothing to earn Jesus. Just write that down. Sinners can do nothing to earn Jesus. You got that? Here's the second part. But the saved will do everything to learn Jesus. But the saved will do everything to learn Jesus. So sinners can do nothing to earn Jesus, but the saved will do everything to learn Jesus. Now, let me tell you why that's so important. I just, every time, every, please don't do it out loud, because if you do, we'll never get through this. But every time I say something today, and your first response on the inside is, Ugh. like if I could take a pencil and jab it through Paul's eye, I would. I, in your head, I just want you to say grace, okay? I just want you to say grace, because that's the deal, it's not about us, and what we're going to start, when we start going through it, it'll make more sense to you, but what we're going to start talking about is, it's going to sound like a, a long list of things we're supposed to do as Christians and have to do as Christians, and, and I just want you to know that, yeah, we're kind of supposed to do some of these things as Christians, like, and we're putting the hard stuff off till next week. Aren't you glad? Because now you have a week to choose whether or not to come back. Because, like, next week, we're, I'm going to start telling you things like, when you get angry, don't sin. And you'll, you'll be going, how's that even possible? Like, like, that's the fun part about being angry, right? 
like sinning. <laughs> I'm kidding. He's going to start talking about things that we should and shouldn't say. And if we all start going through a checklist of our vocabulary, I mean, aren't you glad nobody follows you in the car? I mean, they follow you, but they're in another car. Um, I've got this little Bluetooth contraption in my car that allows me to listen to my, my iPhone on, through the car speakers. Could you imagine if we had Bluetooth devices that allowed us to listen in on other car conversations? Yeah, see that? See how you felt right there? Say grace. Yeah. I don't want you to listen to my conversations when I'm in the car. And that's just the conversation I have with me. Like, let not anybody else, you know, I just, we're going to fail at a lot of this, all right? But just because we fail does not rewrite the standard of Scripture. This is what we're supposed to do, okay? Be- because we're saved. If you're saved, if you've chosen to follow Jesus, then there are certain things that we, we're going to read. We should be doing everything possible to learn Jesus. If you're here today, you're not saved. You've never made a decision to follow Jesus. You just take a deep old breath when we get to the second part. Because the first part is going to be about you, okay? Everybody say the word wretch. That's what we were. Here's three truths I want you to get out of, out of Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 17 through 24. The first part we're going to talk about is that the old way is bad. Paul's going to basically say this. We'll read it in just a minute. Paul's basically going to say this. That Jesus is so real that what he does in our lives is so real that people should be able to look at our lives and see a change. That's what he's going to say. Now, uh, I feel like I'm doing all these disclaimers. um, And maybe we'll do the notes the way they're on I don't know. I might not do that. It's no big deal. You can get them off the, off the website. I just want to make sure that you understand what I'm saying. I grew up in church, right? So here's a truth. How many of you, I'm just curious, how many of you were raised in church? Raise your hand. Okay, sorry. <laughs> we have more baggage to deal with than the people that weren't raised in church. But here's something that's very true. If you're raised in church and you're raised in a Christian home, um, this is counter counterculture to the 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 Baptist culture that we have here, I don't mean that in a bad way, but Wendy was raised Baptist, and if you're Baptist, then you were taught this. If you're really saved, there's a date. Like, there's a date that you were saved. Preferably in the past and not sometime in the future. And if you haven't had that date, we can sing just as I am, and we can have that date today, right? So there's a date. Now, listen, I grew up my whole life wondering if I was a Christian, because I don't have a date. I don't. Hold a gun to my head right now and say, you're an ordained minister of the gospel. Tell me a date or die. I'm like, shoot me. Pull the trigger. I got no date. And what's actually true is they've done studies. If you grew up in a church family in a Christian home, you may not have a date because your life never really changed. Like I wasn't killing people and then repented and then stopped. My stuff was internal, right? But over the long haul, my life is very different today than it was before I started walking with Jesus. The reason I don't abuse my wife is because I walk with Jesus. And I don't think my sister's in here, but if she was, she'd say, Amen. I think I've told you that. My sister's biggest fear was that I would be a wife beater when I got up, got older. She had really good reason to think that because I was a sister beater. Like, literally. I hit her with a baseball bat. Like, your brother hit you with a baseball bat? Here's what you're thinking. Crap. 
he's going to beat his wife someday. And she would go to my, my mom and say, Mom, seriously, Paul's going to beat his wife someday. And I don't think I've ever hit you with a baseball bat. Yeah. I don't think we should probably work that back, right? I don't think I've ever hit you, right? Okay, just make sure. <laughs> so the whole church was like, the whole church was like, I, I think, I think that's good, right? But like, did you throw a toaster at her? Because that's not good. Yeah, grace, no doubt. The point here is this. I know where I would be today if Jesus had not saved me. And I'm not there. Okay? So when we start talking about the change, some of you, the change is going to be very subtle. Like if you knew me growing up, you knew I might have been kind of a jerk, a little bit of a snob, but you probably would, you would have just assumed I was a Christian because I was a nice guy. But I knew some of y'all growing up. I know you're Christians, right? Because you've totally changed your outward behavior. Everything has changed about you. So when I start talking about the change, when Paul starts talking about that, the point here is people that really know you, shoot, forget those people, you like, you should be able to look in the mirror and say, I am different because of Jesus. Make that make sense? Okay. Everybody say grace. All right, here we go. So, here's three, three points. Number one, he starts with the old way. The old way is bad. Here's um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17, 17 through 19. Here's what Paul says. So, I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, which is kind of Paul's way of saying, seriously, this is important. Okay. He's calling in the Jesus trump card. I insist on this. I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, none of us think that we know any Gentiles. Raise your hand if you know a Gentile. If you know me, you know a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. Um, Unless you're a Jew, you're a Gentile. Okay? So that's all of us, right? He says, don't live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance. He just called us ignorant because of the ignorance. And some of y'all are like, I already knew that about my spouse. Because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Those are not three happy verses. Because he just described us. That's the life apart from God. It's us. It's the best we have to offer. Let me just sum it up. Here's what he says. Apart from God, we have no choice on how to live. We have no aim. He says that we're futile in our thinking. It means aimless, having no goal. (laughs) You're like, well, that's how I feel about my 27-year-old child. They have no goal. Actually, none of us do. Apart from Jesus, we have no, we're just aimlessly wandering. We have no light. They're darkened in our understanding. We have no life. He says that they were separated from the life of God. They have no remorse. The hardening in their hearts. They are calloused in their sins. Uh, They have no satisfaction. They continually lust for more. Um, I would love for you to raise your hands on this, but I'm not going to make you. How many of you right now, you're thinking to yourself, I mean, I was bad, but I wasn't that bad. Because that's how we think. What? But how many of you are sitting there some and you're thinking, 
I mean, that person's bad, but this person's worse, right? We never think we were that bad. We're pretty sure everybody else was that bad. So we read, we read these and we're like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I know people that are like that, horrible people. But I wasn't, I mean, I was a sinner, but I didn't sin a lot. The, the truth of Scripture is this is us without Jesus. I mean, if you're sitting here today without Jesus, I don't know any other way to say it. It's, it's awful, but you are a wretch. We sang it. Just say wretch. Like, how many of you have had the bug that's going around? Raise your hand. My daughter woke us up the other night retching. Blech. I picked up the blanket to take it to the tub to clean it, and it was late and dark, and I was sleepy, and so I just, like, held it, and I let it go, and it went plop. Wretch. That's what we are without Jesus. I don't care how good you think you are, how polished you are, if you perfume and cologne, you do your nails, manis, petties, the whole deal. You're a wretch without Jesus. I didn't say it. Paul said it. God said it. It's the best we have. I brought some pictures because I thought you might need to see some visual evidence. Um, do we have a couple of those pictures? The calluses? How many of you right now have a callus anywhere on your body? Raise your hand. Hopefully it doesn't look like that, right? I think we have one more of a heel. Yeah. It's like a road map. <laughs> Listen, this is the end result of a life apart from God. When um, it says in here that they've, they've lost all sensitivity, the word there literally means they have hardened their heart. Their heart has petrified. You ever seen petrified wood? It's like a rock. It's their, their heart is petrified. They have lost all sensitivity. When I was in high school, I played tennis, which I know doesn't really make me a real jock probably, but I tried I played tennis, and so when you play tennis a lot, you get a lot of calluses. You get calluses on your hand where you hold the racket, but you get a lot of calluses on your feet. And I used to sit at home at night, literally. I would take my shoes off, and I'd take my socks off, and I would get scissors out, and I would just, like, cut chunks of dead skin off my foot. And then I would, you know, because I'm a guy, then I'm like, check it out, you know. <laughs> and then my mom's, like, retching, right? That's the way that works. Calluses, they, they, they're, they're dead, your skin is dead. And that's a bad picture. I know it's a bad picture. But this again, this is what we are or were, depending on where we stand with Jesus. Hmm. I put this in the notes. You can say grace in your head when I say it. If you're a southern Christian. What that means is you don't know Jesus, but you go to church. If you're a Southern Christian, then you're a bobblehead. Everybody do your bobblehead. And what that means is you come to church every Sunday, and the preacher says really good stuff, and you go, yeah. But there's no change. Preacher says things like, you know, 
God wants us to think about things that are pure. So we probably shouldn't look at porn. And you're just like, go home and look at porn. Probably shouldn't gossip. Yeah, amen, pastor. Gossip. Southern Christians. There's a passage in Acts chapter 28. I'm thinking that when Paul was writing Ephesians, um, everybody say grace. <laughs> I think when Paul was writing Ephesians, he might have been thinking about this. This was a sermon that he preached to um, a bunch of religious people. I'm not saying that y'all are or that I am, just saying it was who he was talking to. And, and here's, what he, here's what he said to them. Acts chapter 28 Probably didn't pack the altar call either. Acts chapter 28, verses 26, 27. He's saying, he said, The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers. This is to the religious leaders. When he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to these people and say. So this was what God sent Isaiah to say. Go to these people, these religious people, these people that, bobblehead people, and say this. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this heart, this people's hearts has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. This is what Paul's saying to the, the believers in Ephesus. He's like, don't live like the Gentiles do. And, and the, the thing I really want you to get here before we move on the way of the, of the Gentiles was this, just kind of going this way. They can't change. And it, the further they go this way, the darker it gets, the less they understand, the more callous they get. I put this in my notes. I don't know if this will make sense to you or not, but if they, 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 their hearts are hard. They feel no remorse. They feel no conviction. They show no change. And I just wrote down, if we were describing anything other than a spiritual condition, we would say that they were a sociopath. Do you know what a sociopath is? A sociopath is the person that kills you and is okay with it. And they go kill again, and they're okay with it. They're, they're conscious. They're so seared. And by the way, if you're a sociopath, I love you. <laughs> Do you see what I did there? I was trying to curry favor with a sociopath so they wouldn't kill me. Okay, anyway. I thought it was great. I was, grace. All right, so let's move on. Um, Here's what, here's what such, they don't, they don't have any remorse. They just keep doing the same thing, and they could do the, the most wrong thing in the world, and it's not, a, it's not a normal condition, right? Like, you need counseling for that, but think about it from a spiritual standpoint. What we just described, apart from Christ, is a sociopath spiritually. They'll hurt anybody, do anything. They are just about themselves. Not only are they dark in their understanding of moving farther from God, but they can't get enough of it. These are the people that you talk to at work. They come in every single Monday, and they complain to you about how their life is a train wreck, and you are the one that says, have you ever thought about doing this? And they go, yeah. And then the next Monday, it's, Hit play, exact same conversation. And how tired do you get of that? At some point, you're like, dude, go pay a therapist, right? I can't help you anymore. Th that's life apart from God. Can I just set you free? I, I want you to invite your friends to church. And I believe when they come to church, they are in an environment like this morning where we're singing and we're worshiping and God's here. 
and they get arrested by the kindness of God, that sometimes it's hard for us to give cubicle to cubicle. But coming to church is not the answer. Meeting Jesus is the answer. There's no doubt that the old way, life apart from God, is bad. Okay, that's the bad one. That's the wretch part. Here's the good part. The new way is good. Um, I love words like but and however. Right? We talk about that, how the Bible's full of big buts. I love that. In the I think in the King James, verse 20 starts with the but. In the NIV, it says, you, however. I love that. You, you know what that means, right? However means that everything we just talked about is bad. However. Like, there's another way. That's good news. There's another way, however. The good news is that we aren't left in the bad. And for those of us that are in Christ, here's what we know about life in Christ. Number one, we can choose. Some of you chose this morning. Some of you chose to not let your wife tell you what to wear. You probably should have. We can choose. I love how he starts off, do not live as the Gentiles do. He says to the Christian, to the believer, to the follower of Christ, he says, look, they have to go this way. That's the sad thing. Like, if you've been redeemed by Jesus, if I've been redeemed by Jesus, guess what? I don't have to go this way. I can, like, no longer live as the Gentiles do. You like how I was stepping there? That was good, wasn't it? I was going to moonwalk, but I can't moonwalk. But here's, if we're just doing visual, this is what a lot of Christians' lives look like. We're walking this way because we have no choice, right? We have to go this way because we just read 17 through 19. We're darkening our understanding. Our hearts are getting hard. We're cutting the cow skin off our toes. We got nothing going on that's good. And then we get saved. I've been doing T25. See how I did that? It's awesome. But what we're going to read here is the Christians should now walk this way. But most Christians do this. And we think we're better because we're looking somewhere different. But, but Paul's going to say, but you should look different. We're still going the same way. Do you see that? You should be thinking grace right now, okay? Because right now, if you're really in with me, you're thinking through all the ways that you don't look different than you used to. And you're going to start to feel condemned about that. But the Bible says clearly in Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. But there is the sweet conviction of the Holy Spirit. So wait a second. It's not about going this way. It's about actually walking away from what I was. Paul wrote that we did not come to know Christ in that way. He said our minds are no longer dark. Our lives are no longer separated. Our hearts are no longer hard. Uh, just Here's a couple of verses if you want to write them down. We're made new. And in every imaginable way, we're made new. I love this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we're recreated. It says that if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. Galatians 2, 20 says that we have, Paul says, I died. I have been raised to life with Christ. We have new life. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. So we, have a, we walk a new path. We have a new way to walk. These are realities about you if you're a believer. If you're a follower of Jesus, these are realities about you. Whether we see it in our life or not, these are realities. Like, this, here's what this means. 
This means today. Like, I know this will never happen to you guys, but today when I, when I go somewhere to eat and my food is cold when it gets to me, first world problem, when I, my food is cold and it gets to me and I start to mutter and complain, complain, if I'm walking this way without Jesus, I got no choice but to do that. But if I'm sitting at the restaurant and I start to mutter and complain, guess what I can do? I can choose differently. I can choose to walk a new path. I can choose to say, you know what, God? It's not about me. I just smile and say, can you heat this up again, please? How can I help you? Man, you're waiting like 25 tables. Are you the only server here today? Yeah. What happened? Uh, jerks caught in sick. They're not really sick. They just got drunk last night. Man, that's going to be tough. Hey, look, man, just when you get a chance, bring us a pitcher of water, sit on the table. That way we don't have to keep coming back and forth. See how it changes everything. Jeremiah 29, 11 says that in Christ I have a new hope, I have a new future. So there's no doubt the old way is bad, it leads to death. There's just as little doubt that the new way is good, it leads to life. So here's where we got to get to. Smart people, are you smart? Apparently not. <laughs> wow. Are you confident? <laughs> Not sure. Smart people just choose the new way, right? No. That's the problem. Here's the third point. The only way from the old to the new is Jesus. The way from the old to the new is Jesus. Um, I brought one more picture. Do we have that? Just, just to show you the difference between the old and the new. It's actually my feet. <laughs> Kidding. Um, can you see the difference? Well, if I wasn't still blind, I could. There's a difference between the old and the new. And, and anybody, if we're talking, and if you had this conversation at your work tomorrow, and you said to somebody, do you really want to keep being miserable? They would say, no, but they have no power to change. And so we sometimes talk to people. We sometimes read the Bible like all we really need to do is just flip on a switch, right? But how do we know? What's the, what's the absolute poof pro, poof, proof? The poof positive. <laughs> that was the seventh verse to Amazing Grace right there, wasn't it? What is proof positive? That it's not about just flipping a switch. And it's not harder than you think. There's a man who walks on this earth, and he is proof positive that it's not about just flipping a switch. Are you thinking of his name? Do you want me to tell you his name? Dr. Phil. Because if all it was was flipping a switch, then every time he said, how's that working for you? They'd go, not too good. And they would just change. But we all know that's not true, right? Like he says, how's that working for you? And they're like, not too good. And he goes, well, here's like five things you can do. And they're like, thanks. And then he has a recap show. And they're like killing people, right? It just never gets better. Because the answer is Jesus. Period. Like that's as old school preachers I'm going to get. The answer is Jesus. 
It's not choosing to be different. It's not trying to be different. It is being a wretch and saying to God, I got no shot if you don't change my heart. The way from the old to the new is not a new to-do list. The way from the old to the new is the way. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. This is so important. I want to make sure you get this. Because here's what's going to happen next week. Um, we're going to start reading this rest of this chapter. And it's going to sound like we just got handed a humongous to-do list. And, and if I, I'm just speaking for me, okay? I was raised in church. So, man, I, I know what it's like to walk out of church tired. You know, you just walk out going, oh, God. I mean, I already wasn't doing the million things I've heard before, but here's one more thing, right? I know how that feels. And so we've got to get this. It's grace. It's grace, period. It's, it's falling in love with Jesus. Living right is, is the natural result of loving the right person. Living right is the natural result of loving the right person. Um, let, let me just say this again. I'm, I'm married, in case you didn't know. And um, some of you aren't, so I'm just going to make this a statement, okay? Just listen to me, all right? I stopped acting single when I stopped being single. I started acting married when I got married. Like, I didn't get married and then just keep acting single. Who I loved changed what I did. That make sense? Here's your big idea. Maybe this will make more sense because it rhymes. New affection leads to new direction. I like that. New affection leads to new direction. What I do flows out of who I love and who I'm loved by. I, I man, I wish we. I want us to get that. Like that, I was meeting with some pastors. And I said sometimes I just feel again. I feel so inadequate. Like I, I feel like I, I want to talk you to death because, but I know it's not going to help you at all because you just start throwing things. But I, sometimes I just want to like open up my heart and just dump it in you. I'm going to open up my brain and dump it. In, well, that wouldn't help you, but I want to open up my heart and dump it in you, right? <laughs> like that brain dump wouldn't take long, would it? Probably wouldn't even have to wipe. Um, so just write this down. John 14, 15 and John 14, 23. These are two verses that when I was growing up in church, they, they just, they guilted me into everything I did, okay? And I'm probably being too honest for y'all, and I'm making a case for you not to like church. I'm sorry about that. But I want you to love Jesus. I want you to love Jesus. And I want us to be a church that you can love because we love Jesus, okay? So John 14, 15 and John 14, 23, these are, these are two verses. They just guilted me into everything. Because here's what it says. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says this, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And I was like, oh, God. Well, I'm sure I love Jesus, so let me obey the command. But what he's saying is this. Like, if you love me, you'll actually obey my commands. Like, the Ten Commandments stop being you better not, and it becomes like, oh, wow, I won't do that. I, had a, he t I heard, this, heard this guy in our, in our seminary. He made that statement. Blew my mind. He said the difference that Jesus made was, in the Old Testament, those list of Ten Commandments said, you shall not. 
And in the New Testament, because of Jesus, it was like, hey, I shall not. That's the difference Jesus makes. Churches don't make that difference. Religious lists to do don't make that difference. But Jesus makes that difference. He changes us. And so it's like, I don't smoke or chew or date those girls that do, right? I can't. But over here, it's just like, hey, wow, I don't do that. Because they're ugly. And they drip tobacco juice. I'm just messing with you. If you're a girl that does all that, fantastic. (laughs) I'm not going to date you, but it's because I'm married, right? I'm going to try to say this a couple different ways, so I want to make sure you get it. You write down whichever one sounds good to you, okay? I already told you that what I do flows out of who I love and who I'm loved by. Works, it's not works leading to love. It's love leading to works. I, I do laundry. Not well. Sometimes I'll do laundry. If Wendy cooks, I clean the kitchen, usually, unless I'm asleep on the couch. But usually... I don't have to. I want to. Why do I want to? Because I'm crazy about Wendy. Here's what, what Jesus is saying is that when we love him, we want to learn from him. We want to learn about him. Here's This is, the, this is the toughest part for you to wrap your brain around. I'll say it quickly and then we'll get out. The biggest difference between the old way and the new way is that the old way was aimless drifting and the new way is active learning. How many of you just went, ugh, I don't like to read. You're like, I know where this is going. You're going to make us read the Bible. Yes. But I'm not going to make you read the Bible. You Get to read the Bible. Because the Bible is Jesus. Paul said, we didn't come to know Christ this way. What was the way? The way was kind of this aimless drifting, right? So, do you know people like that? Just kind of aimlessly drifting through life? I know people who love Jesus who are aimlessly drifting through life. And this is the end result of that. Okay? You aimlessly drift through life. Even while you love Jesus, you're ending up in a bad place. But this is about actively learning about Jesus. Sinners can do nothing to earn Jesus. Grace, grace, grace. But what we're going to find here is that the saved do everything they can to learn Jesus. I know that not everybody here is a book nerd. But Paul literally expected that Christ followers would be Christ learners. Again, this is like the marriage picture. Me and Wendy at the altar. I do. She did. Kiss her. Fantastic. And then I never want to know her. I never want to learn anything about her. I get, we get so tired and in such a routine that our life becomes her life, my life. Every now and then we, we meet up, usually while we're eating. We never talk. I never ask her what she dreams of doing. We never talk about anything like what we want for our kids. We never talk. And I want to say right now, I'm honest enough for your pastor to tell you, if that's your marriage, you're sucking at it. 
Because that's not what God intended. I don't mean that to make you feel bad, but that's not what God intended. God intended so much more in relationship that we would love one another, live together, learn about one another. And that's just me and her, and she can't save me. But Jesus actually expects that if we're going to follow him, we would want to learn about him. Here's the stuff that Paul says. He says, surely you heard of him. Surely you were taught in him. You were taught to put off your old self. This is about, this is words of discipleship. These are words of dead souls that were, that were dead, and now they're alive. Did you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but in the old way, there's, they can't be satisfied. That was the last thing it said. Hey, they can't be satisfied. They're just like, oh, I got to get more, got to get more. It's all bad, but I got to get more, got to get more. And the new way can't be satisfied. I can't get enough of Jesus. They're both insatiable. Some verses for you to write down. I'll read them to you. This is about how the desire to learn about Jesus is a normal experience in the Christian life. Second John 1 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Everybody say grace. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So actually living out what we're learning is what 2 John 1 9 says. That's one of the marks of being a follower of Jesus. Like we're not just learning it, but we're learning it and doing it. That's a mark of a follower of Jesus. Proverbs ten seventeen. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life. Whoever rejects it leads others astray. Here, let me just say this real quick. It did not say whoever likes instruction. Because I don't know how y'all are. I'm not a fan. You know, after church today, when you walk up to me and say, dude, you should never tell people that they have a bad marriage that they suck at it. I'd be like, don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to be instructed. Nobody likes to be corrected. But here's the truth. It says right here, if I accept that instruction, then I can be on the path to life. If I have a desire to learn about Jesus, I am on the path to life. If I reject it, I'm not just on the path to death. It says that I lead others astray. You ever, I don't know if I've ever not, have you ever been the leader in a caravan of cars and gone the wrong way? <laughs> On purpose? <laughs> like, usually if I'm, and, I, and it would be me to do it because I'm bad with directions, but if I'm, if I'm leading and I take the wrong turn, I'm, I take it and I'm like, oh, crud. And I look behind the rearview mirror and like, everybody's following me. Because then you have to like go up and find a place to U-turn. And when you U-turn, you're just like, hey. <laughs> You know, listen, if you're the type of person who cannot receive reproof, if you cannot receive correction and instruction, the Bible says that you will do that. The problem is you won't U-turn. You'll just lead them astray. That's huge, right? It doesn't say we have to like it. It just says that we need to heed it. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Psalm 119.14, I rejoice in the word 
Psalm 119.16, I delight in the Word. Psalm 119.20, I crave Swedish, no, I crave the Word. Not Swedish fish. I crave the Word. Let me just read this one thing I've got here. And you say grace in your head. These are not the words of a man who blows the dust off his Bible on the way out the door to community group. Grace, grace. This is a man who gets that the key to a life turning towards Jesus is to have a life that is learning about Jesus. So um, we're going to wrap this up. Just some real simple truths. You can write these down if you want to. First, let's just repeat the big idea. The new, new affection leads to a new direction. Here's what it basically means. If we love Jesus, it will change us. Okay? Just leave the part about the marriage back there, okay? Look, if you love Jesus, he will change you. That's good news. It means that our motivation for obedience is not the fear of punishment, but it's an unwillingness to want to hurt Jesus. And it's so good for us to know that. I live my whole life not wanting to make people mad. I'd rather live my whole life making him happy. Like, let's just make Jesus happy. I love Jesus. He loves me. I don't want to hurt him. And that's such a better motivation for the things that we do. Don't read your Bible because you think you have to, and if you don't, God will kill you. Read your Bible because I want to know Jesus. I love Jesus. And when I don't get up and pray and talk to Jesus, not only do I miss out, but guess who misses me? Jesus. He actually wants to hang out with you. Jesus is going to want to hang out with me. He's going to want to hang out with me later. When I get home and I'm like, did I really say that? Jesus is going to say, yeah, you did. It's all cool. I want to hang out with you. He loves us. New affection leads to new direction. Um, here's the second thing. Works flow out from a changed heart. Um, I'm not a psychologist, but I know that behavioral psychology teaches the opposite. If you can change your actions, it will eventually change your heart. That's not really true. Only God can change a heart through Christ. Jesus changes our insides, then he messes with our outsides. Here's the third one, and this is really important, okay? I'll be really honest. It takes all the pressure off of you. If, you, if we don't hunger the Word, we need to examine our diet. Um, after a message like this, it's really easy to go home and feel condemned because you're going to get in the car and go, God, I don't, I don't read the Bible enough. Like, I must not really love Jesus. I'm not saying that, okay? It's not what I'm saying. I wake up many mornings and don't really want to read the Bible, I totally understand that. This is about creating a culture of learning. This is about specifically learning the truth in God's Word. Um, the old nature, I just want you to get this, the old nature will never desire God's truth, ever. But when He saved us and He T25'd us this way, He gave us a desire to learn about Him, to love Him more. And so when, when I don't have a desire to read the Bible, there's only one thing I can do, and it's repent. We've, I think we've said that word enough that you don't feel like it's a cuss word, right? It's just kind of a natural part of following Jesus. 
Um, let me read to you Psalm 119. That's a great, by the way, if you just want to go home and read Psalm 119, that's a great psalm about the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 20. No, I'm sorry. Psalm 119, verse 36. Here's what he says. This is, this is um, the psalmist, okay? He wrote 150 of these things. So he probably liked the Word of God, right? Here's what he says. Direct, my, direct me in the path of your commands, for there I will find delight. Turn my heart, verse 36, turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. There's a, I want to make sure you get, there's a lot of peace there. There's a lot of non-condemnation there because David, he, I mean, he gets it. He's like, you know what? I'm writing it, and sometimes I don't want to write it. Sometimes I don't want to read it. And so he didn't go, I'm terrible, I'm terrible, I'm just going to keep walking this way and playing the game and acting like everything's okay. He just flat out said to God, hey, how about this? Could you turn my heart towards the Word? So here's what you do when you don't feel like reading the Bible. You repent. You just say to God, I know it's terrible. I know this is about Jesus. I have no desire to read it. I mean, I've gotten the coolest translation ever created in the history of mankind. I'm not even doing the King James. Like, these are actual words that have one syllable. I get them. I just do not want to read it. Maybe you've never been there. I have. And we'll be there again. And the answer to that is not read it more. Set the timer so you make sure you do five minutes a day. The answer to that is I repent. Something in me feels broken, and I don't want to read this. So, God, could you please turn my heart towards your statutes and not toward what I want to do? Okay? Because I can tell you right now, call me, come to my house anytime during a Panthers game. Show up and say, if you really love Jesus, you would turn that off and read the Bible. I'm like, shut up. If you really love Jesus, you go pop popcorn and come in here and watch this game with me. I know totally. I'm not saying that, like, hey, never do anything else. I'm just saying, let's be honest. If you don't have a desire to read the Bible, one, it could be that you're not saved. I'll, be, I'll go ahead and say it, okay? It could be that you're not actively following Jesus. Because if you've given your heart to Jesus, if you have actively chosen to follow him, he creates and he does something in our hearts that makes us want the Bible. We want to learn about him. We want to be near Jesus. We want him. It is not a chore for me to be married to this woman. It is a blast for me, not so much for her. Maybe. A little. It's not a chore. So when it becomes a chore, when our marriage feels like a chore, never has for her, but, you know, I'm being honest, okay? When it feels like a chore, you know what? The answer is not, be better. Be a better wife. The answer is, God, forgive me. I repent. I want to be a better husband. I want to cherish her. And guess what God does? Because he's merciful and fantastic. He just starts changing my heart. Isn't that awesome? I walk in bed like, did your makeup different today? You look fantastic. She's like, dude, I'm wearing sweats. Ah, you look fantastic. It's because he changed, changes my heart, right? That's how our relationship is with Jesus. We don't ever want you to feel like you're being condemned because you don't feel a certain way. I just want you to understand that the remedy is not to try to act or pretend a certain thing, but just to repent. Just to say to God, here's the truth. I don't desire your word. Turn my heart towards the word. And then fourth. 
this is especially good for those of you who are here and you're hurting today. And so everything I've said, it's just like, on a good day, I would have loved it. But today, you're just missing it, dude. I don't need to hear about the Bible. I need to hear how Jesus is going to heal my broken heart. When we're, when we're really hurting, here's what we tend to do. That's when we go into autopilot, right? We just turn numb. We stop feeling. We stop thinking. We turn on the TV. We start playing a sad song playlist. We have made the playlist on our iPods specifically for those moments, right? Because we're sad. And so because we're brilliant people, when we're sad, we listen to sad songs so we can be sadder. Right, that's fantastic. And how's that working out for you? Yeah. So here's what we do, okay? We're new people. We're not aimlessly drifting to the old ways. We are intentionally walking in a different direction. And how in the world does learning about Jesus help with that? How does a Christ follower respond in difficult situations? Here's what they do. They cry a lot and they look to the Bible. Psalm 119, verse 20. Paul says this. My soul, not Paul, I'm sorry. David says, my soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. That's not even the right verse. I'm sorry, it's verse 28. He said, my soul is weary with sorrow. You, are you weary with sorrow? You ever been in that place? Yeah. I mean, like, where you can't get out of bed. And not because you're depressed and need medication, but you just can't take anymore. What do we do in that moment as believers? Well, this verse says, strengthen me according to your word. It didn't say, numb your mind with friends' reruns. It didn't say, have a beer or two. Look at porn. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. Those are all horrible ideas. Let's do the better thing. Call a Christian friend and complain. I'm just spitballing here. I don't know if that's true or not. Strengthen me according to your word. Paul says in Ephesians that the one thing that marks a believer is a hunger and desire to learn about Jesus. In any situation that we're in, if you're here today and you are broken hearted, this is the answer. Strengthen me according to your word. Like, give God a shot. Like, take your Bible home. I don't advocate this, but it's be fun. God's big enough. God, I need to hear from you right now. I'm just going to open the Bible. I believe that God's so big, he'll tell you something you need right now. He'll show you something right now. He will strengthen you according to your, his word. He will strengthen you according to his word, even when you're brokenhearted. How, how do you end a message like this? I just probably need to repent, right? I need to repent because I don't always live this. 
Because I, I, I feel bad that I got to be the one to preach it. Like, so maybe I should hand you the microphone. You should tell me all this stuff because I struggle with this. We don't always do this. Grace. But just because we don't do it doesn't mean that we should not be doing it. Just because this is the sum of our Christian existence, walking the wrong way, looking at Jesus, does not mean it's what we're supposed to do. And so this morning, repentance could just simply be this. What am I doing? God, I want to walk this way. I want to take off what I've been doing and put on a new self, new clothes, new way of thinking. If you're in community groups this week, you will t- you'll read tons of passages that talk about your mind. Like your biggest problem and my biggest problem is probably not the belly or anything below the belt. It's here. It's the mind. It's the stuff that we think about all the time. The conversations that we have in our own head. Just invite Jesus into that. And stop following the ways of the Gentiles and start walking a new path. Not because you have to, not because we're mad at you, not because of anything like that, but because when we fall in love with Jesus, He gives us a new heart, and when we have a new heart, He begins to change our mind. We think differently because we love differently, and when we love differently and we think differently, guess what happens? It's not rocket science. We walk differently, and that's so cool. So, if you're here this morning, um, here's how we're going to end it. If you're here this morning and you've been trying and trying and trying to walk a different life and it's just not working out, like no matter how hard you try, you still end up over here, I'm going to say this to you. I don't know you personally, all of you, but I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say, maybe you've done church, you probably haven't met Jesus. And I would love to introduce you to Jesus because He will light something on the inside of you, and you will start to walk differently. You could be here as a believer. You're following Jesus, and you've been walking backwards. You just need to start walking this way. It's just a simple matter of repentance. God, I'm sorry. Renew me according to your word. Man, I want to learn about Jesus. We should probably pray. But just before we do, ever say grace? Remember this, that there really is no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ. And so when you feel like I do right now, convicted, like, God, I'm not, I'm failing at this. And I'm the preacher. The answer is never to give up. Always repentance. I think Wendy and I had been married about 10 years. The first time somebody asked me a no-brainer question that I think I should have had an answer for, but I didn't. Something simple like, what's Wendy's favorite color? And I went, um, what? I feel like the worst husband in the world. But you know what? I didn't divorce her over it. She might would have divorced. I don't know. I mean, I just, and we didn't just like go, hey, I'm terrible. I think I went home. It's like, what's your favorite color? Just like learn. 
What's your spouse? What's your husband's favorite football team? You mean like soccer? Not like the real football? You know, like the questions that we get asked and we don't know the answer to, and they make us feel that big, right? Do you know? Am I just the only one that does that, or you feel that? Listen, here's the answer to that. The answer to that is admit we don't know and go learn. So let's bring that into our walk with Jesus. Am I the only one that gets asked questions by people about God and I don't know the answer to? People assume I do because I'm a pastor, but they'll be like, so like, did Adam have a belly button? (laughs) What? You know, like you're the pastor, like did Adam have a belly button because he didn't have an umbilical cord? What? (laughs) Should I know that? Are all people really going to go to hell if they don't know Jesus and they never heard about him? What? It's easy to do this, right? But the truth of the matter is, we just, even if we feel like we should know the answer, can we just be honest enough to say we don't know the answer and that we want to? And maybe for you, that's where you're at today. Sworn repentance isn't like sackcloth and ashes and weeping and wailing and standing on your head. It's just like, God, sorry. I want to know you more. And without turning to it, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul said that all he really wanted out of this life was to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Pretty good goal, right? Here we are in a a series called One. Here we are in a year, 2014. We're, We're encouraging everybody to go for one thing. Pretty good goal. I just want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Because when I do that, I fall in love with him. And when I fall in love with Jesus, new affection leads to new direction.